You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Getting message to you, Rudy vibes. This is the tide is high. Yeah, the tide is high. I'm holding on, but it's less. I'm going to be your number one. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah, hundred percent, totally. Yeah, Dollarama Blondie. That's right. Coin that phrase. You're listening to the Alfred and Brub Show on Sportsnet. She was in a movie I just saw. How really? What movie? Video drum. You just saw a video. I drum. just saw it for the first time. I have no follow-ups. It Alfred was a trip. <laughs> Alfred and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour two of the program. Elliot Friedman's going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour two. Uh, hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Uh, before we get to Frege, going to do another trip down memory lane. So the first Canucks trade deadline acquisition <laughs> that we brought up earlier was Eric Weinrich. Remember him? 16 games. Not a statistical accomplishment to his name other than the minus 13. Yellow tinted laser tag visor retired shortly thereafter. Here's another one for you. 2006-7 season, Canucks make two acquisitions at the deadline. One was bringing back old Brent Sopel. Okay. Second yeah, kick yeah, in the can. Everyone yeah, yeah. remembers that one. Lesser known one, a lot of people forget. Brian Smolinski. Smoke, they called him. From St. Louis, was it? Um, no, Chicago. Oh, okay. He did play for St. Louis. So he didn't? did. He yeah. played for a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? You're wrong. He did not play for St. Louis. Really? Nope. He played oh. for Boston. Pittsburgh, the New York Islanders, Los Angeles Kings, Ottawa Senators, Chicago Blackhawks, Vancouver Canucks, Montreal Canadiens, and he retired. Fun fact. He was like, that's enough teams. Yeah, I'm done. I played for half of them. The Canucks made so many trades with the Blues. Maybe I just assumed that. That's true. Yeah. They did, especially at the deadline. Mm-hmm. He now uh, refs high school hockey in Michigan. So there you go. Smolenski? Yeah. He coaches as well. Yeah. High-level AAA. Okay, uh, let's go to the phone lines now. Elliot Friedman joins us here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Friedman. How are you? Morning, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're well. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We do appreciate it. You know, it's actually like a 32 Thoughts reunion show here on Halford & Bruff because we had Merrick on about an hour ago. Yeah, that must have been terrible. <laughs> Yeah, he, he droned on a little bit, but uh, no. We, well, you want to hear droning on? You got the right guy. Here we go. Um, let's. I know you've spoken about Kuzmenko, but the name you threw out there the other day, Zadorov. Well, first of all, it put Rick Dollywall in a real tizzy, um, and you know he's he's just like I, I called Dan Milstein. He says it's not true. Um, why did you throw that name out there? Well, I think it's, uh, I was probably a, a little more careless than I should have been, to be perfectly honest. I should have explained it better. Um, uh, but I, I do think his name has kind of come up. 
Um, I, I look like there teams out there looking for defensemen, Toronto, Jersey, and I, um, I think those, and also, obviously there's a GM in Toronto that knows Zadora very well. So I think that there's probably been some conversation about it, um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. But I think the bigger reason I, I kind of came out was, um, honestly, the Canucks are going to have to move money to do what they want to do, right? They're going to do something. They're going to go out and they're going to get another forward at least. And I just think that in order to do that, um, you know, when I went into sports, I was told there was going to be no math, but you can do the numbers on a napkin. And Mm -hmm. it is that if they're going to go out and they're going to get a Lindholm, they're going to need to clear a salary. And you look up and down their roster and what are the salaries that, you know, kind of make the most sense, either the most sense to move or probably fit the most to move. And and those are the names. What are you hearing about Chris Tanev? Because the other thing with the Canucks defense that you could speculate about Zadorov is that if everyone's healthy on the left side, you got Quinn Hughes, you got Carson Soucy, and you got Ian Cole and Nikita Zadorov. And Rick mm-hmm. Tockett likes to go lefty righty. Um, and if all four of those guys are healthy, unless one of them's a healthy scratch, then you got to go lefty lefty. Now, mm-hmm. if Zadorov got moved out and Chris Tanev brought, got brought in, first of all, it gives the Canucks the option to play Chris Tanev with Quinn Hughes if they want to spread Hironic to another pair or whatever. It just gives them more lefty-righty options. So what are you hearing about yes. Tanev out of Calgary? Well, first of all, I know that they were hoping to get a good look at Cole because initially when all four of those guys were healthy, I think they wanted to give Cole a shot on the weak side because they just wanted to see how it went. Uh, they, they had a bit of a luxury in the sense that because they've had as good a year as they've had, they're in the playoffs, and they could probably look at it for a little bit and see how it could go. But then, of course, Susie got hurt again, and it kind of blew up that plan. So I, I think in, uh, on a one level there, that was a bit of a disappointment for the Canucks guys because I think they did want to see how Cole would look on the weak side. But uh, in terms of Tanev... Look, I think there's a lot of teams looking at him. Um, and there, and I don't think that surprises anybody in Vancouver. You guys, as much as anybody, know how good he is and how highly respected he is. Um, this Ottawa thing is very real. Uh, they've made a push at him. Uh, they would like to not only trade for him, but they'd like to sign him and extend him. And I think the biggest question is, you know, they're not a playoff team this year does Tanev want to give up a year of chasing the Stanley Cup? So I'm curious if this is something that kicks up again in the summer after he goes somewhere right now. Um, Look, if the Canucks were interested long-term, I think he would definitely be interested. I know he liked his time there. Um, He's not a guy who's uncomfortable playing in Canada, but there's going to be a lot of competition for him because of the resume he's got and because of the high regard people hold him in. So, but I do think this, look, I think if the Canucks were interested in Tanner, he would definitely be interested in them. In terms of making difficult decisions going into the March 8th deadline and beyond, uh, which general manager has the more difficult decisions to make? Is it Craig Conroy in Calgary or Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh? 
Um, I think that, well, I, I, look, I, I think that Conroy, the decisions are actually, like the overall path is pretty easy, right? Um, you know, the, the, the clock, the contract clock determines you've got to make your decisions. Um, you're, pro, you're, you're dealing Tanev, you're dealing Lindholm. I think Hannafin has to make a decision on which way he wants to go here. And you're not going to Markstrom unless you're in a situation where um, where he you get something that's so incredible that you can't say no to it, or he says to you, "I want to go somewhere," which, as far as I know, he hasn't done. I think Conroy's in a situation where those choices are kind of made for him. Dubis is his his overall point is is a little bit different. He's in a situation where. He's got great players, Hall of Famers, who want to win. And, but he knows that he's got a strong uh, foundation, but not enough around it. And look, the Penguins, I didn't check this morning, but yesterday they were six points out of the playoffs. And that's going to be tough for them to make up. It's really hard to make up those numbers with the loser point in the NHL. And they've got Crosby having an MVP season. And I think the Penguins are internally are not blind to the fact that they don't have a lot of uh, lot coming. So I think at the, at the same time that they want to try to win, I think the organization knows they have to rebuild the cupboard. And I think that's, you know, I think that's had a lot to do with the way the Gensel negotiations have gone in the sense that, I think there's an understanding here that even if they keep them, they may not be doing the kinds of short-term things you need to do to contend every season. So I think anytime you've got a guy like Crosby and also guys like Malkin, Latang, and Eric Carlson, and you're saying we're not taking our shot every year, that's a difficult tightrope to walk. And so I think that even though Dubas went in with both eyes open, I think he was well aware of what might need to be happening here because it's Pittsburgh and because it's that group of players. I think it's more challenging to, to sell that kind of vision. Was the Eric Carlson acquisition a mistake? I you know, I, I think that's, I, I think it's too early to say in the sense that in, in the sense that they didn't, like he's still got time left, right? Like it's like like to me, I don't necessarily judge any. Like I do think, was it the number one thing they needed? No, I don't think it was the number one thing they needed. Uh, but when you're trying to win, you know, you're the guy's coming off a hundred point season. You don't have to pay his full contract. Um, uh, I think that you you're in a situation where you didn't give up a lot of what you had. I understand the shot they took. Mm -hmm. I just think the biggest challenge with Carlson is that, and I've talked about this before, he, you have to set him up for success in a way that not a lot of other people need to be set up in the league. There's a certain way you need to play. There's certain roles that he needs to have. And you could see it earlier in the season that they were struggling with adjusting to him and what he needs. The same thing happened in San Jose. Mm. So oftentimes to me, like there's some guys you trade for them and you just plop them right in your lineup. 
and they go and, and they go. Carlson is not like that. You put him in your lineup and other players have to figure out how to play with him. And it takes longer. Um, look, like, I think in I think in this business, and I get it at sports radio, we jump to conclusions very quickly. This has still got a little bit of time to play out, and I well, one thing I've learned about Carlson is when it comes to him, it takes a while for everyone to learn how to play with him. It is a tight rope that they're walking in Pittsburgh, or Kyle Dubas is walking because Sid is thirty six, and I know he's still a terrific yeah. player, but. Gino's 37, Latang's 36, and, you know, like, is the plan to turn it around so quickly or inject youth into that lineup that they can be a contender while Sid is still under contract or Sid is still there? And, and, and especially, he is the player that he is. I mean, I, I, there's no bigger Sidney Crosby fan in terms of respecting his game than me, but, like, yep. what's his game going to be like in two years? Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. We I had this conversation with someone the other day, uh, Jason, and I think he can be whatever he wants to be. Like, like for example, one of the one of the, another player in the league was looking at the way he's scoring this year, and they and he said, "Look, if Crosby ever slowed down, he could easily be converted from a center to a scoring winger." Mm-hmm. Like they, they said, you know, you could do that, no problem with him, because he can score and he's smart and he's. Really, he's got a great shot, and he's proven he's a 50-goal scorer in this league. But what this player said to me was, the big question is, would he want that? He said, like, if you, he said, if you could, if you said to me that Sidney Crosby could score 50 goals as a 40-year-old winger in the NHL, I believe you. Mm-hmm. But I'm not convinced Sidney Crosby would want to be told that he's no longer a first-line center. And so I don't, I think if the other players in the league talk like that, I don't worry about him at all. Now, I think that if Gensel gets traded and they're supposed to meet and talk about this right now, um, or over All-Star weekend, um, I think it could be interesting to see what Crosby's reaction is. And then we'll get to the summer and, and see kind of where all of this goes. But um, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I definitely think it's a story to watch. Like where does all, if the Penguins say, look, we're not, we're not making the short term moves, which I believe is their philosophy. Then it'll be interesting to see where all this goes. But, um, I've, I've radioed myself enough this week and I'm going to be <laughs> a little careful before making any proclamations. Oh, okay. That's that's too bad because my next question is about Elias Pettersson and <laughs> the, the All Star break, and I was wondering if he was going to meet with his reps in Toronto while he's in Toronto for yeah. the All Star game, and whether or not that could lead to a conversation with the Canucks. Because I know what PD said. I know he said, mm-hmm. you know, save it for the the end of the season. But to be fair to us. Pat Brisson did say it was still possible that there could be negotiations during the season. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, I think the thing is this. I just don't think Pedersen likes it being this public. Um, I, I really don't. I, I've learned a lot about Pedersen this year. Um, and, you know, some of it is just the conversation we had on the boat in Sweden. And I've kind of made it a personal thing to find out as much as uh, I can about him. And the, the thing that I've really learned about Patterson is he doesn't like his words getting parsed. I think when you're like, you look at this thing with Tockett and him last week, um, you know, Tockett things like, like I remember I, I got into Ron Wilson when he was coaching the Leafs got mad at me once because he told us in the morning that Luke Shen was going to be a healthy scratch for the first time. And so I, I told our guys and I said, I didn't make a big deal about it during the day, but you know, I said, we have to be prepared for it in the show. So we talked about it at length in the show and he got mad about that. He said, I didn't tell you that so you could make a big deal of it in your show. And I said, you know what? I understand that, and we kept it quiet until the show started, but it's impossible in Toronto for this not to be a big story. This is a first-round draft pick, and he's being scratched for the first time. Of course, we're going to talk about it. And he thought I kind of violated his trust, and I said, I think I kept your trust, but I think you're unrealistic about what kind of story this is. Anyway, it kind of reminded me about that whole talk at Patterson thing. And, um, you know, Tockett thinks he's giving an honest answer. And because it's Pedersen, he's your best player or one of your best players. I, I don't I don't want the Quinn Hughes stands to be coming after me here. Um, <laughs> because he's one of your best players and because it's Vancouver, you guys love your hockey, love your Canucks. It's a big conversation, right? And I think Tockett has to realize what market he's in but I also understand that he's trying to be honest and doesn't think it should turn into a fiasco when he's simply trying to be honest. It's the nature of the beast in a city like Vancouver, just like it is in a city like Toronto. And I think that's one of the toughest things that Pedersen has to deal with is he doesn't like the way everything gets picked apart and parsed. And so I think he feels the best way for him to handle it is take this all off the table, mm-hmm. punt it until the summer. And it's possible it changes. Like we've talked about this a lot. I think the Canucks have made it very clear that when he's ready, they've got a, a, a pickup truck full of money for him and they will be happy to extend them. I just don't think he wants this discourse during the season. I think it bothers him and it annoys him. And I just think his, the best way for him to deal with it is eliminate the conversation. And I think that's the hurdle that the Canucks face right now. Is it realistic for him to expect it to just go away? Uh, No, I think that's kind of what I was just saying there, Jason. Like, you know, you can't, um, um, you can't expect it to go away, but like, here's the one thing everybody has to understand. It's not, like, and, and this is what I'm realizing with Pedersen is that everyone's different, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
some people can handle stuff better than others. And that's not to say that one person is better than someone else or one person is worse than someone else, but it's a recognizing that not all of us are wired the same. Like we all have like, in our business now, we're public figures. Everything we do right and wrong, it happens in public. And we get judged in public. And I, I, tell, I tell people now who are going into this business that you have to know the world that you're stepping into. That's our lives now. Um, I mean, everybody decides how much their life is public to some degree, but we are in the media public figures. And everything we do good, people see it. Everything we do bad, people see it. And, you know, people can just write to us and say whatever they want all <laughs> over the Internet, and we can see it. And some people can handle that, and some people can't. It's just the way it is. Have you, have I, you... think with, I think with Pedersen, even though he's a public figure and a star and he's going to be paid well, I just don't think he likes it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I hate it when my words are twisted. I, I mean, it doesn't happen to me all that often. I imagine it happens to you, but I'll see like, Bruff said this, and I'm like, I did not say that, or I didn't, or I definitely didn't mean it that way. Um, mm -hmm. I imagine that happens to you. How did you? Was that a process for you to get used to that and just be like, hey, I got to accept that this is going to happen. Yeah, I think like like I've always had a pretty thick skin. It's gotten thicker. I mean, like everybody else, there's always things that get to you that, you know, there's we all have these things that no matter how much we prepare ourselves for, um if 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 the, there's one topic or one thing that'll just it'll just get you no matter what. I think the one thing I always talk about is you got to pick your battles. Mm -hmm. Um like, you know, all all the like and I, I also don't believe fights on social media really solve anything. As a matter of fact, I think they, you look worse in them nine times out of ten. Totally. But, you know, I think the thing is, I, I, it's like the Zadora thing the other day. I was a little bit careless, and I didn't explain it as well as I wanted to. And whose fault is that? That's my fault. And I do a lot of radio interviews, and I do a lot of TV interviews and the podcast that I write, and you're going to... So, some days things are going to happen. You're like, ah, I should have done that better. And some days you're going to be like, ah, I just got twisted or radioed. You have to just decide what you want, what battles you want to pick. And I just think that's the case with Pedersen. I, I just know, like one thing I've, I've learned about him is that he just doesn't like it when his words are parsed. Like when he says something, he says it. He doesn't like it when people say, oh, What's the meaning behind this? How do I interpret this? That's the stuff I think that makes him, Mike and Jason, kind of crazy. Yeah. No, he, he he's he's a fascinating personality, and and yeah. and I think everyone in Vancouver is like they they want to get to know him, but they don't know what he's thinking. And we appreciate you coming on today and just well, helping you us know, discover what the one, a little bit more. The, the one thing I would say is, and I would say this to Canuck fans, I think there are times to worry about the future and there are times to enjoy the present, right? I think you guys are enjoy the present mode. Like, you can't, if Pedersen doesn't want to talk about the contract, there's nothing the Canucks fans can do about that. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys have a chance for a really special season. Your best players are playing great. Uh, your goalies look great.
Like one of the best trades in the NHL this year might be the DeSmith deal. Totally. Because he's been good, yeah. and it's allowed Demko to get the rest he needs. Your talk, it clearly has resonated with everybody on the roster from player one to player 23. Like you guys have a chance for something special. And um, in Canada, we know that that doesn't happen too often. So I know there's a lot of angst about Pedersen's future. Right now, if I was in Vancouver, I'd be enjoying the presence. Well, we definitely are. It's been it's been a it's been a really fun, remarkable to me, shocking season. And uh, you know, it's good for business for us. So we're super happy with it, and we're super happy that uh, you could join us today, Fridge. No worries, guys. Have a great day. YouTube. Thanks, Fridge. That's Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Insider. Thirty-two thoughts here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Got to go to break quick because coming up on the other side. Marie-Philippe Poulin is going to join the program. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Marie-Philippe Poulin is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 of this program is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, our next guest is a member of the Canadian women's national team, a member of the PWHL's Montreal franchise, and you will be able to see her and 23 other players from the PWHL compete in a 20-minute three-on-three showcase tomorrow at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto to kick off the NHL's All-Star Festivities. Joining us now on the program, very happy to have her aboard, Marie-Philippe Poulin, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Marie-Philippe. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're good. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Let's start with what I was just talking about. It's the showcase tomorrow at the All-Star Weekend, kicking off the All-Star Weekend. How excited are you and the 23-hour players about being involved in this showcase? And what does it mean for the Professional Women's Hockey League? Yeah, it's super exciting. I think all of us being able to, to be here, it's uh, representing our league. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Obviously, you've been waiting for a long time to be, be able to create the, this league, the PWHL, and obviously it's been a great momentum since January 1st, being able to talk about women's hockey and also being able able to be involved in the NHL All-Star Weekend. It's going to be awesome. A three-on-three, uh, best on, on best. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be competitive. Uh, it means a lot. Obviously, people have been talking a lot about women's hockey, and now get to be involved in the NHL All-Star Weekend. It's going to be awesome. How else can the NHL help the PWHL? Well, I think the, the more we can talk about it, the more you see that different teams are getting involved in, in, with their team. Uh, I think it's huge. Obviously, we, we're like, we're very fortunate to be able to, to be under the Walter groups that came in uh, 
with a lot to, to help us having the Billie Jean King that came in and obviously it's finally kicking off and we're so exciting and obviously on the NHL side uh, being able to talk about it being able to support us through it all but obviously having the different teams supporting their, their team here it's huge for us and you can see the momentum uh, moving forward. Um, I know you were part of um, putting the CBA together for the PWHL. When you were doing that, how did you balance the desire to get paid a fair wage and get benefits for your services, but also wanting the league to be financially successful and long-term viable? Yeah, I got to say, like, we had a, a board, board members I've been working and uh, a lot of hours for for us obviously we had the association with all the players that have been there but gotta say like the Liz Knox, Bianca, and Sarah Narcilli, and like Kendall Coin uh, has been five members. I've been putting hours and hours to make sure the CBA was going to put together, and obviously representing us for uh, for for us to make sure uh, this was going to put out. And obviously, uh, they did an un- unbelievable job. And um, for us to make sure it was professional, to make sure we're going to be get paid, to make sure that we're going to be treated professionally with all the resources, we the right infrastructure and so far it's been unbelievable and we got to thank them and it's been unbelievable so far. What's the key to long-term success of the PWHL? Uh, for us, just to, to keep uh, talking about it, to, when you can see it, you can be it. That's something that we truly value and you can see on TV, you can see on social media, people are talking about it and that's something that's unbelievable. And we have rinks that can get filled out by fans and you can see it since the beginning of the year you can see ranks filled out to, to be able to support it and that's something that's unbelievable and obviously money money does speak and obviously having the Walter groups that stepped up for us and believing in our product it, it's been huge and uh, we can only hope it's going to keep growing and having more teams uh, we're speaking with Mary Philippe Poulin on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 so one of the things, if not the main thing, that makes women's Olympic hockey so compelling is the rivalry between Canada and the United States. How long do you think it's going to take for rivalries to emerge in the PWHL? Because that's what a lot of sports leagues sell is the rivalries, um, but it's harder um, when the league is new and you don't have a history of bad blood or anything like that. I mean, if you've been watching the last couple of weeks, it's been unbelievable how tight every game is. And it's either a one-goal game or overtime. And that's just the quality of this product. And obviously, i got to tell you, the Montreal-Toronto, uh, it's been awesome so far. We played only one time, but right away, it's so competitive and everybody wants to win. It's the first year of every franchise. People want to win that championship. And you can you can feel it, you can see it, and it's been unbelievable. And I can tell you in the next couple of weeks, other rivalries going to be formed and it's going to be awesome. What level of physical contact would you like to see in the league? Because I know that's been a talking point. People have been saying like, wow, this is rougher than I expected. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it. And when we talk about starting this league, how we wanted the ref to let us play. And you can see on the international level how sometimes some ref let us play. It's physical, some game, other game, there's, that everything's getting called. And that's something that we want, being consistent with the physicality and the call from the ref. And obviously you can see the last couple of weeks how physical our games has been and things have been letting go. And obviously we still have to manage where the line is, what kind of contact, but obviously along the board, 
um, if you're going the same direction, uh, that, that physical contact is there. And that's something everybody is liking. And I think you can see from a fan perspective that people have been enjoying that, that kind of play and how fast it's going. Mary Philippe, this is a question from my niece, Willa, who plays hockey in Powell River, British Columbia, and is a huge, huge fan of yours. Um, she wants to know, did you play with the boys growing up? And if so, when was the first time you played on an all-girls team? Well, first of all, hi, Willa. I hope <laughs> I get to meet you one day. But uh, I did play with uh, boys until I was 15 years old. 15 years old. I come from a small town right outside Quebec City where there was not many women uh, hockey there. So I did play with them uh, until I was 15 and then had to move to Montreal to play uh, with a women's team here in Montreal. But obviously, uh, uh, women's hockey have changed a lot. There's a lot more women's hockey, which is amazing to see and being able to be able to, to play with your friends, with uh, young girls of your age is something that it's amazing to see across the country. So did you grow up playing with full body checking and everything? Were, 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 were the boys taking runs at you or did they not take a run at you because they wanted to be gentlemen about it? Well, you know what? I got to tell you, I had both. And I've, I did play with uh, body checking. And obviously, there is guys where they would just line up the girl because obviously, I did not belong there. And other, But I've been very fortunate to play with guys team where they actually took care of me and they were treating me like a little sister which was pretty amazing but every time I got to play against other boys team they would line up for the girl and uh, I think that's what made me stronger and built my character that's for sure we're speaking to Marie-Philippe Poulain here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Marie-Philippe joins us courtesy of the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. Uh, we had Jeff Merrick on the show earlier, Marie-Philippe, and we were talking about um, the way that the league has been able to get its content out there and have a lot of eyeballs on the content. If you go across all the different Canadian broadcasters right now, they all have access. Uh, it seems like there's countless highlights and games that are being televised. Was that one of the keys for the Professional Women's Hockey League to make sure that they could get as many people seeing this product as quickly as possible and to become enamored, not just by the skill on display, but as you mentioned, the physicality that's involved with the game right now? Yes, 100%. I think being able to share on those different platforms and being able to to have a TV deal across uh, those broadcasting is unbelievable. And like even for for me, like I, I'm a player in the league, and I get to play those in those games. And obviously, when I have a day off and I get back home, and I can flip the channel, channel, and I see a game, it, it's fun. We become right. fam fans of our own game, and you get to cheer your teammates, your friends, and that's something that's been unbelievable to to watch and see how many how many eyes are watching this league grow. Uh, it's been unbelievable, and we're just uh, very fortunate, and we want to keep pushing for for more. That's for sure. Okay, one last question. Biggest goal you ever scored, and for the record, I was in attendance in Sochi for that incredible comeback, and I actually have a bit of a bone to pick with you because I had to rewrite my entire story. I had it all written that Canada couldn't score, the Americans, were, the doing, the Ameri- the Americans the were doing such a good job, and then 
I mean, I went back and watched the highlights last night, and I, and I forgot about the post that got hit with the empty net. I kind of forgot about all the penalties in, in overtime, some of them a little bit controversial. It was one of the most remarkable, if not the most remarkable game that I've ever attended. Um, I was there working for NBC, so an American outlet, so I kind of had to hide my cheering a little bit, but it was it was awesome to watch. Was that... Was that? I mean, you scored two goals in that. Was 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 those the biggest goals you scored? Uh, I mean, it is up there for sure. I've been pretty fortunate to to have pretty amazing moments. But that 2014 game, um, it's hard to put into words. I, I feel like if I would tell this story to people, I don't <laughs> think people would believe me. That we would be down two nothing with like less than three minutes to go in the third in the gold medal game, and obviously be able to come back and you know, get that win. Um, it was surreal. It is surreal. And still, like, if you look back to that post, like, literally, I was on the ice again, that puck going left, right, left, right. And I thought I was going to go in and obviously hit the post and we were able to, to come back and score. So uh, it was really pretty amazing to be part of that game and being able to share that with, with teammates and friends and family. Well, Marie-Philippe, we want to one. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this today. I know you got a busy day because... You have a big day tomorrow. Best of luck in the 20-minute uh, three-on-three showcase to kick off NHL All-Star Weekend. And not just best of luck with that, but best of luck with the entire PWHL season. I hope it goes great for you in Montreal. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's Marie-Philippe Poulin here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. As I mentioned, uh, Marie-Philippe and 23 other players they will kick off NHL All-Star Weekend tomorrow at Scotiabank Arena with a 20-minute three-on-three showcase. Now, talk about an action-packed final hour of the program. Not only do we have the greatest active women's hockey player going on the show, we will transition now into some breaking news. Sportsnet 650 Breaking News. The Vancouver Canucks have announced a multi-year contract extension with general manager Patrick Alvin. The club made it official just moments ago, signing him to a multi-year contract extension. In the release given to the media, Jim Rutherford said, quote, Patrick has done a terrific job in helping us rebuild our hockey team both on and off the ice. He has worked tirelessly, yes, tirelessly, to create a new culture and identity that embodies the important attributes of hard work, structure, and dedication. Patrick Alvine will meet with the media today at 11 o'clock. So roughly, what, a week after his boss, Jim Rutherford, was extended as the president of Hockey Ops. His right-hand man, Jim Rutherford, right-hand man, uh, Patrick Alvine, a multi-year contract extension to stay aboard as the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. So this isn't entirely surprising because Jim Rutherford... I was uh, shocked, Jason. Shocked at the news. Really? Because you must have not watched Jim Rutherford contract uh, uh, extension press conference because he said we're working on one for Patrick Alvin as I well. I am now suddenly less shocked. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what can you say? He deserves it, right? Um, I think everyone's pretty impressed with uh, the Canucks and their performance this season. Um, I know some of us went in with some skepticism that the Canucks could be turned around as quickly as they have been. And um, we it's not that we didn't believe that the Canucks needed to play better defensively, but it was kind of like, okay, you hear the word structure so much that it all of a sudden loses some meaning. But, mm. you know, I think that's one of the things that 
you almost have to admire the Canucks for they just kept preaching the same messages and ideas. And even if it became repetitive to hear over and over again, and, you know, for those of us who don't take anything seriously, you know, it turned into a bit of a punchline, but it also worked, Hmm. right? There has been more structure. There has been more accountability and there's been alignment from ownership to the president of hockey ops to the general manager to the coaching staff to the players and look at the results i do want to say this um the press release on behalf of the canucks does a really good job of encapsulating just how much that alvin has done and remember He's basically just into two years on the job. He was hired on January 26th, 2022. It's now January 31st, 2024. And they make a very clear point of running down everything that Alvin has done during that two-year tenure. Re-signing JT Miller and Brock Besser. Trading for Philip Hronick. Adding Teddy Bluger, Pew Suter, Ian Cole. Carson Soucy, Casey DeSmith, and Sam Lafferty. And then maybe the best for last, in that press release, the Canucks announced that he hired Rick Tockett as the head coach of this club. So if you want No to mention put- of signing and extending Kuzmenko in the press release. Right. They managed to leave that one out, which is strange. That's probably uh, that's an that's an oversight. That's a footnote at the end. Also, there was a contract for Andy Kuzmenko. <laughs> um look, I will say this though, when you could put together that many highlights. In a two-year span, you have done a remarkable job as general manager to the point where you could pretty much pencil in Alvin as being a finalist for general manager of the year, which is an award which is kind of flawed conceptually, but whatever. No Uh, mention of the addition of Nikita Zadorov either. Well, you know, because he could still be flipping him. Yeah, I know. That, one's not, that one's not done yet. <laughs> you know you know what else about Patrick Alvian, though? I think he's gotten a lot more comfortable on the job in terms of speaking with the media. Now, don't get me wrong. He's still the Swedish Johnny Tightlips. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't share much. But um, it's tough when you come in and you've never had these media obligations before in yeah. a market like Vancouver. And you could see that he was nervous for... A few of them, but I think he's gotten more comfortable as he's come along, and he's had a great. Um, well, it kind of got foisted upon him, right? Because Rutherford, because it started so badly with you know the whole we have to fire Boudreaux thing, um, that Rutherford was too outspoken, yeah, yeah. and then had to pull it back, <laughs> which forced Alvin to do even more. Because I would imagine at the beginning. And this is just pure speculation. I have no informed opinion on this. But my thought at the beginning was, well, what a great tandem. And Rutherford can kind of be the vocal foil to an inherently quiet Alvin. Now, Alvin was always going to have to talk. He's the general manager. But Mm -hmm. it always seemed like that was part of Rutherford's gig. And then because of the way things unfolded early in their tenure, he had to take a step back, a self-imposed step back. But still, he felt like, wait a minute. If I continue to be as verbose as I am, one, I might talk myself into trouble. But two, you also do sort of undermine the public and necessary public persona that a general manager has to have. You can't be a silent general manager in the NHL. I think it's just impossible. Um, Matt from Maple Ridge, Alvin made some great signings in the offseason for good value. But can we talk about how his performance will be? 
re-signing all these players in the offseason. I feel like it will be a whole different beast, so I'm interested how he will handle it and what your take on it is. Well, he's um, not going to re-sign all these players. He's going to re-sign some of them. Yeah, of course. Of I mean, he signs an extension. The job doesn't get any easier. Um, I actually don't know what his contract situation was, but if he was heading into next season with only one year left or maybe didn't have any term, you don't want that situation. Um, you know, one of the important things when you're signing management or putting management under contract is you don't want to have a situation where a manager only has one year left. So he starts thinking short term when he's got to remember the long term consequences of his actions. Jance has talked about it before. And some people argue that, you know, Jim Benning had more contractual, um, uh, more contract length. He maybe doesn't pull off that Oliver Ekman Larson deal. He felt like he needed to do something big, so he swung for the fences and he missed by about ten feet. Yeah, they threw a changeup at him and he was well in front of it. I mean, um, yeah. So that is one of the reasons why um, it's good to have your general managers, especially if you believe in them, signed to longer term contracts because they don't act purely in self interest and. Even if they would say, well, I'm not going to do that anyway because it's a kind of a dishonorable thing to do. Sometimes you're just subconsciously tempted to do that. So, you know, we talked about alignment. You have to have alignment between short term and long term. Um, you know, if these guys were given the marching orders of like, you better do something this year, then all of a sudden you're worried that they're going to trade away prospects for short term. I mean, one of the, I th- I've been thinking about this for the last little while, actually. I'm glad you brought up the bending thing with OEL because it, I just want to go down this road. We got a couple minutes here before we have to go to break. One of the things that I think ultimately failed bending when he was here, one of the things was that oftentimes the players that were brought in were players that he was enamored with during his time, like scouting. Like he had seen this guy and he thought that this guy would work here. I feel that the biggest difference in terms of pro scouting is that instead of finding guys that you were enamored with in the past, who you think could be sort of reclamation. When they were 17. (laughs) Stop looking for reclamation projects and start looking for guys that actually fit exactly what you need at that given moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be the biggest thing. Now, don't get me wrong. They've gone back to the Pittsburgh well on a number of occasions with guys that they knew. And I know that Benning did that to a certain degree with guys that he thought that he knew. But I'm looking at... he had a working relationship with them in Pittsburgh. And they knew that there was proof of concept at the NHL level, right? There was a lot of speculative moves about guys that they... And again, it really came back to draft. I found a lot of guys, and they would be harking back to their draft profiles. Yeah. Like what they did when they were 17 Mm -hmm. or 18 years old. And there was this great promise and great potential, right? And and then I look at at what Alvin and Rutherford and the rest of the pro scouting department have done. And it's like, can we find guys that are going to fit specific roles at the exact moment? And are we going to look for guys maybe that we don't necessarily have a history with? Some of them for sure. But some of them are, are they going to fit the profile of the player that we need at that given moment? And I also think knowing how you want to play. Because when you know how you want to play and you're on board with your head coach with how you want to play, it's a lot easier to find players. Yep. As opposed to, it seemed like at times with the Canucks under Benning, it was like, just find talent. Or guys. It doesn't, well, more just like, no, but you up, remember upside the upside talent. Do you and remember kind of like, well, the, where does this guy fit? Do you remember the medicine hat infatuation when Willie was here? Oh yeah, yeah. Like that was that was 
uh, it, it almost it was borderline comical looking <laughs> back on it that there was this endless recycling of tigers. Right. right? No, not real tigers. Medicine no. had Medicine tigers. Medicine had tigers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and you again, you kind of understood what they were doing, but it always felt as though that there was more of this impetus to find a a diamond in the rough or some turn someone else's trash into treasure or there was something that you knew and you saw that nobody else was seeing. Yeah. I guess that's where, and that again, we're relitigating the past and we don't really need to do it, but I have, I could not be more impressed with the turnaround in pro scouting from one era to the next, because I look at, you know, Suter, Bluger, um, Lafferty, Susie, uh, Cole, mm-hmm. it works. It fits. It makes sense. Length of contract, term allotted to them, makes sense. The roles that they've been put into, that makes sense. The style that they can play under a head coach where there's alignment across the board, that makes sense. And that's all you really want at the end of the day. Is there a vision and is there um, is there a blueprint that you can get behind? And that's a great thing. Uh, what we learned is coming up next, so text in your What We Learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Centre or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.